all aboard to this special episode of the Next Stop podcast. 2021 is European Year of the Rail, a year to remind us that the journey is as important as the destination. I'm Connor. And I am Claudia. And this is the Next Stop podcast for the Spring 2021 trainees of the European Committee of the Regions. Welcome to our last stop. To finish off the series, we took this final and special opportunity to speak about the European Year of the Rail at two events. We first went to the Connecting Europe Express as it arrived in Brussels after its long trip around Europe. And then we headed to Strasbourg to give a workshop on sustainable mobility and the railway sector at the European Youth Event in the European Parliament on the 9th of October. So you hear all about that in this special episode. So first, we went to Scarbeck Station, where the Connecting Europe Express train arrived in Brussels after spending more than 20 days crossing cities across Europe. At Scarbeck Station, we were honoured to be accompanied by Mr. Joseph Dupavar from the European Union Agency for Airways, where he has been Executive Director since 2015. He holds a doctorate degree in physics and has 25 years experience in the railway issues. We were delighted to be joined by Mr. Dupavar as his expertise is undeniable. Next stop. So thanks very much for coming today. Uh, the Connecting Europe Express is nearly at the end of its journey. Uh, it's crisscrossed nearly 26 countries and um, a lot of lessons have been learned. And for you, uh, what are lessons from this experience and uh, what are things that we've learned from the Connecting Europe Express so far? First of all, I would like to congratulate the team who is behind the Connecting Europe Express because it has been a huge success. Now we are almost at the end and I am convinced that the train will successfully complete its run via Luxembourg and Strasbourg to uh, Paris. One of the lessons learned is that indeed the Connecting Europe Express has shown that trains can connect people, can connect regions and people. And what the Connecting Europe Express has also shown is the high potential of rail the high potential to transport passengers efficiently, the high potential to transport goods. But the Connecting Europe Express has also shown that a lot of work is still to be done and we need to tear down the barriers in Europe, the technical and operational barriers. Definitely. Yeah. And now it's, it's a celebrating the year of the rail. It's a, a brilliant kind of a experience and to see that happening across Europe has been great. Um, so, like one of the objectives of the Connecting Europe Express uh, was to make a better understanding of the rail and the challenges that Europe, Europe faces, as you said. Um, we have a lot of problems still to overcome within the transport industry. And for the European Railway Association, uh, what is your pers perspective of the key challenges uh, that we need to address in the years ahead uh, of both local and uh, regional levels? Well. The key challenge for all of us is to fight the climate change. We are all convinced that rail can contribute, can contribute significantly to reduce the environmental impact on transport. And therefore, we need to strengthen rail. And rail is in competition with other modes of transport. The other modes of transport are investing heavily in technology, are investing in automation, uh, investing in electrification. Rail is really electrified since almost 100 years. One factor that is forgotten 
many times is the high energy efficiency because it's not only sufficient if you convert the energy from uh, less clean to a clean energy you need to reduce the energy per person kilometer in total and rail has less than one-fifth of the energy needed per person kilometer or ton kilometer in comparison to road and this is what we have to promote and this is also what the connecting europe express should have made clear to the european public in general and of course rail has a contribution to connecting the regions to connect the regions to the metropoles to connect the regions across the border. This is another important message that we have seen with the Connecting Europe Express. Yeah, no, definitely, and it's um, it's it's brilliant that uh, right now it's we are seeing kind of advancements in technology, and there's all kind of um, new kind of energies like hydrogen, for example, and that's kind of being brought into the equation. Um, and as we, we talked about connecting regions and connecting, uh, using the rail ahead of, uh, of road transport, uh, my next question is around uh, the pricing. So, like, rail tickets are often much more expensive uh, than flights, as we all know. And um, even for us trainees, um, in the next few weeks, we are going to uh, Strasbourg for the European Youth event. And uh, we are booking train tickets, and we can cross kind of see the difference in prices between flights and rail and for flights it's it unfortunately it's cheaper even though it's not as energy uh, efficient yeah. um so this is kind of something that uh, i wanted to ask you and like how can we overcome this and make trains and rail more attractive for people and more affordable also yeah i think these are the two key questions making rail more attractive meaning to have attractive schedules, to have comfort in the train, to have wireless LAN, to have possibly on longer distances even a restaurant car so that you can enjoy your trip. Then you need to have the possibility to buy your ticket easily. Nowadays, this is not regularly the case. If you cross borders, you have to combine your journey yourself, so you cannot simply buy a ticket from France to the Netherlands from one entity. You need to uh, buy it piece by piece, but then you have no guarantee. So if you miss the connection, nobody guarantees it for you. And then the price level. And the price level is a direct consequence of the fragmentation of Europe's rail. Fragmentation means on the one hand you don't have competition in most countries and no competition means monopoly, monopoly means higher prices. Secondly, because of the different national systems, the cost of these tailor-made trains and the tailor-made signal equipment is of course higher than having a mass-produced system that can be used everywhere on the globe. Aviation, there is no national differences. You have the same type of aircraft all over the world. If one line, say, from London to 
another city is no longer profitable, then you can just uh, open up another connection or you sell your aircraft uh, to somewhere else in the world. If you have a train that is built according to the Polish specification and authorized for Poland, you cannot sell this train into another country because it is not allowed to run without changes. So this explains the cost differences. If we bring down these differences, if we create a single European railway area, we will also make the offer more commercially advantageous. Definitely. And um, so, like, uh, as we were talking about, like, uh, in terms of sustainability and energy efficiency, um, we know that, like, rail is also one of the safest and more, most sustainable way of, um, of traveling. Um, and is there, obviously, we, talk, we talked about it in, say, in different rails, it's different, you can't just pull a railway line or you can't just say we're not going to certain cities anymore. Is there any way that uh, we, you, you can see in the future a level, a level playing field uh, kind of between, say, road transport and uh, rail or, and, and also aviation? Well, level playing field is also an important contributor to making the odds even, because currently taxation is different. Uh, Aviation doesn't pay taxes on kerosene, yeah, for instance, whereas rail has to pay taxes even on the clean electricity. So we need fair carbon pricing, we need fair taxation, and we possibly need to consider all the external cost. And if we do that, then we create a level playing field. We also make the prices more fair because also the costs are then distributed equally. So it is an important contributor also to make transport sustainable and to make transport green. Definitely. And um, so like we, we, were, we were after spending uh, a lot the uh, last six months kind of uh, learning about the European Year of the Rail and learning about new technologies, accessibility, pricing. Uh, and it's been, it's been brilliant to learn about these things. And it's also, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on the rail for the future. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, it, personally, what do you see the future of the rail, uh, the railways around Europe and the future for, uh, is it a bright future, hopefully, and uh, no. things like that? Uh, rail has been the mode of transport that has enabled modern life for six generations. We are here in a place, the Railway Museum train world in Brussels, that shows this history like possibly nowhere else in Europe. Rail also has a very great future because rail is safe, rail is environmentally friendly and rail can be efficient. So for the future, I see high-speed connection between all major European metropolitan areas, I see efficient regional connections into these metropolitan areas, I see 
intra-regio connections across borders in order to better develop these uh, regions. And thirdly, I saw, see a high potential for moving freight, specifically long-distance freight, from road to rail. There is absolutely no justification to have goods transported on road on distances longer than 700 kilometers. 700 kilometers is what the lorry driver can do in one day. Above 700 kilometers, those trailers should be loaded on train, should then uh, spend less energy, should then create less CO2 emissions by a factor of five less. And if we manage this, we will dramatically increase the modal share of rail and we will dramatically reduce the CO2 emissions of transport. Yeah, definitely, and it's 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 uh, inspiring to hear like uh, you speak about that, and um, it's um, it's it's great to be here as well as the Connecting Europe Express arrives uh, when it comes to near the end of the journey. And um, yeah, I just wanted to thank you finally for uh, agreeing to for the interview and speaking to you, and it's it's great to be here. And uh, thanks very much for being on the show. Many thanks, uh, thanks to you. At the sunny Skyway station, we we're also joined by Mr. Pascal Schmidt. Secretary of State of the Brussels Capital Region, who works on urban issues. And he's also a member of the Committee of the Regions, serving at the Cotter and SEDEC Commissions. It was great to have someone who was working and representing people at a local level to talk about sustainable mobility and the role of rail in Brussels. So, uh, first of all, I just want to say thanks very much for coming to talk to us. Uh, it's been a long kind of journey of uh, doing the podcast and we've had lots of guests and um, you're, you're our final guest on the podcast. Well, an honour. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, thanks very much for coming, coming on board. You're welcome. And um, so, yeah, so like this is the end. This is coming towards the end of Connecting Europe Express, and uh, the rail and and the, the Connecting Europe Express shows the unifying forces of rail. And for a lot of cities, it's meant a lot. And for you, as a as, as representative of Brussels, what do you feel it means for Brussels to have the train here? I think it's good because it recognizes that Brussels is the heart of Europe, you know, that you are a very international city, we are the, the capital of the European Union, we are very well connected through a system of highways, uh, we have Brussels Airport which is very well connected with the rest of Europe uh, by planes, but essentially we need um, to have that the same thing with railway and to some extent we have it because we have the high-speed train to Amsterdam, two hours, we have the high-speed train to London, a bit less than two hours, we have the high-speed train to uh, Paris for one hour, 50 minutes. France is pretty well connected to the high-speed. Germany, Frankfurt, but not that much. And so I think that the train here shows that there is more potential for Brussels to be uh, better connected to the railway. And you know, historically, Belgium as a whole and Brussels, we were, we were one of the first countries to embrace uh, the railway. Uh, the, the first, one of the first railway lines was between Brussels and Malines of Europe. So we historically are really at the heart of the railway system. So and I think it's important in the future as capital of Europe to be connected uh, with rail with the rest of, uh, of Europe. And of course in Belgium we still have a very good um, railway connection system. It can be better, especially around Brussels. But still, we, we, we still have it. Yeah, no, it's, it is uh, very interesting as well to see from the historic point of view. Uh, and like the Connecting Europe Express, like its role is to kind of better understand the challenges uh, that are there for the rail because it's still 
not the first choice of uh, transport for a lot of people. And it still has a lot of problems that come for businesses and the general public. So for Brussels, what do you think are the challenges uh, that the rail system has to overcome to be the choice of the people? I think, let me start around Brussels. In Brussels itself, um, and around Brussels, we need this um, arrière, uh, you know, what I call um, the uh, réseau éternellement retardé, which is kind of like an express railway system that yeah. connects the, uh, the, the suburbs of, of Brussels uh, with the train system. The infrastructure is nearly there, but what we need much more, more now is the trains, actually, that we have every 10 minutes uh, or 15 minutes, but preferentially 10 minutes a train that's connecting Brussels with its uh, suburbs and so we can uh, convince the uh, the commuters to no longer come by car but come by train. I think that's the most urgent thing that in Belgium we have to do around Brussels, get this suburban uh, S-Bahn system like they have in Germany or the RER like they have in Paris. So I think that's the most urgent thing. The federal government has promised that they are going to invest, that they finally are going to make uh, the last investments in order to get this whole system in a couple of years uh, ready. That's the most important thing for us. Second thing, I think more important on a more European level, is that uh, we have um, a kind of uh, railway system that is competing with the uh, with the uh, airline industry. And the main obstacle over there is that there is, uh, if you want to take a train ticket, it often costs you more than a plane ticket. And so most people will look into the price. And secondly, in terms of, um, of uh, duration of your trip, often it's pretty much the same, especially when it's less than 500, 600 kilometers. If you count everything, you know, your, your, your way to the airport, uh, the waiting time at the airport, the uh, flight time, the checkout time, uh, getting your luggage, very often for these kind of distances is the same. But the problem is it's much more expensive and it takes a lot of time. Uh, you know, I give you a concrete example. I have to go to Leipzig in a couple of weeks. So I just checked it, uh, you know, uh, from Brussels to Leipzig by train. It's a long time, it's cheap. This time is cheap for Deutsche Bahn. I have to say it's not that expensive. But you know, by taking a plane for me, um, it's nearly the same price, flying to Berlin, take a train from Berlin to Leipzig, and so it will even, I will gain time, and that's not normal. So I think what we need for Brussels is that during day and even eventually with a night, tra night rail system connecting these European cities, <clears throat> that is um, affordable and that is compatible with the airline industry. And so I think that European Union should take a measure that is that um, all destinations um, under, let's say, 500 kilometers or one uh, or one hour, of, uh, yeah, one 500 kilometers, you know, and if you don't have a, a real high-speed railway alternative, you should forbid it. Yeah. When there is a high railway that you say you can no longer fly, and if you fly, you have to pay a lot. So you have to tax it out of the market, I think. Yeah, I like the, your your example as well. We're going to the European Youth event in um, Strasbourg uh, this weekend, and uh, just like the in terms of time, price, you'd be better off nearly taking the flight. Or yeah. out of we're, we're taking the train, but uh, obviously it's it's still still a challenge that we have to overcome. Exactly. And like um, I see like kind of the stuff you work on in Brussels, and uh, it, it, kind of point that I seen was very important was that like in like Brussels at the heart of Europe geographically and uh, administratively and uh, but it's not really in the heart of of the people of Brussels 
and um, within transport and within uh, rail, do you think there's big opportunities for, um, say, the connect like you were speaking about, the connection uh, to other cities? I think yes. I think it's a question of offer. And um, when the offer and European national railways have to work together, in order when there is no high-speed high railway, that at least the normal speed uh, railway is well connected and you have good connections and that you have an understandable uh, offer. And today, you need the effort. So I think it's something that has to be done and where the European Commission should take the initiative in order to coordinate it and elaborate that and maybe invest in it. I think it's something that they could perfectly do and, um, and they're not really doing it at this time. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true and there's lots of chance uh, for growth. And um, in terms of like intermobility of trains and like cycling and uh, trams, uh, Brussels, like it does it does have it all. Do you think there's much room for improvement at a lo local level? Yeah, there is improvement. I mean, we are investing a lot of money now in public transport since a couple of years, more than 1 billion euros. Um, it's new tram lines have been created. We always been a tram uh, line city and we stayed it and now we are expanding our that's also rail, of course, yeah, the yeah. tramways uh, system. We have a bus plan that is being uh, developed right now, uh, which much more buses in the city. We are constructing a new subway line. Um, and as you can see, we are now in Skarbik uh, station. Um, you have the, straight, the railway station, but at the same time, you have the tramway system that's just in front of the station and also the buses. So yes, I think um, we invested in that and we made also deliberately choice that the material, the trams and the buses and the subway should be high quality, should be very nice. And it's Art Nouveau design. It's with wood, it's with, with wood, it's with um, uh, and wood, <laughs> wood. Uh, with, um, it's also with uh, uh, iron, indirect lighting. Yeah. It's, um, it's um, um, queer, how do you say that, uh, leather seats. Yeah. So the thing is, quality yeah. and if you in, in brussels public transport if you take here uh, a tram or a subway or a bus you will think you go into a car and that's essentially the experience that we wanted to give people cars are very often luxury products but in the past and many still today in many european cities public transport is in yellow in green in orange all the colors that you would never pick out yourself in order to have uh, a car and then they put it like that in the people like they rub it in your face they're going to do something ugly sheep you know <laughs> and we didn't want to do that so and i think that should be the same with the trains and of course <clears throat> If you take the high speeds, for instance, you know, I love to go to Paris for one day. Yeah. But going to Paris for one day in Brussels is not a problem. I mean, it's only one hour and 20 minutes by train, so there's no fuss about it. But if you want to take um, a last minute decision to do, you pay at least 200 euros for a ticket, and that's a damn lot of money. Yeah. And so if that would be much cheaper, a lot more people would use the train and not take the car, take the bus, or, and the bus is four hours, but it takes also capacity on the road. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's should be cheaper. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's refreshing to kind of hear kind of someone at a local level. Because we we were working on the committee of regions and seeing. I'm the member. And and see and hearing like you speak about it is also is uh, gives a lot of positivity. And my final question is like um, like as things are changing and being more sustainable in terms of transport. Uh, not only the rail, but the whole system. You're kind of, would you be quite like hopeful for Europe? 
as a representative of local yeah local I think public. I think so most European cities understand that the core oriented city is finished yeah that's now a people oriented city and many European cities are going in that way I'm also vice president of Europe of Metropolis which is the uh, world organization of cities of more than 1 million inhabitants and it's one of the points that we want to make is that uh, the European cities of the future are people oriented lots of public space less cars more bicycle um, and that's the kind of city model we have to export in the world and not uh, to go to the Asian American of, or even African uh, types of cities it's not human scale and that's a big advantage we have from history that most European cities are human scale but we just fucked it up with the uh, the cars and yeah. I'm pretty sure that in 50 years or something like that kids will learn in school that the biggest mistake that uh, Europe and mankind has ever made was the invention of the car for the <laughs> private uh, placements in cities of course between cities and in, in, in the countryside a car still has a role to play but not in in cities that's that's a thing of the past and uh, so I think that um, what we are doing in Brussels too, the investment in the car sharing systems, in the bike sharing systems, in the step sharing systems, it's all alternative forms of uh, soft mobility and also walking, of course, and that's what people have to do. So I'm pretty optimistic for European cities. I think we are winning the battle. It's not, and it was a battle. It's, um, it was not uh, easy because the car industry had a lot of money. They succeeded in putting the car as the symbol of uh, sex and the symbol of getting a girlfriend, you know, for many boys um, and guys of my age. And, and even today, often a car is a ticket to a girlfriend yeah. or less to a boyfriend. Uh, but, but that's changing too today. Yeah. Um, it's a question of mentality. I think it's a question of generation. Um, and, you know, the only thing that the bike industry has to do now is copy the... Um, the, the selling tactics of the car industry and 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 you know it's start to work i mean it's much more sexy when you're on your bike instead of in a car and so that's the thing we have to to copy you know to copy uh the selling argument and i think it's, it's i'm pretty optimistic on it so yeah no th thanks very much like that's great great kind of final answer it's uh great to have you here and <laughs> like on a nice day like today so uh thanks for coming and it's my pleasure <laughs> thanks very much. thank you Thanks. So, Claudia, after all this, is it, do you have any reflections on the experiences both at the Connecting Europe Express and the European Youth Event in Strasbourg? Well, I guess uh, being part of these events has been a brilliant way to round up the project and this podcast series because one thing is engaging with decision makers online or reaching out to young people through social media, but it is much more rewarding to interact with people in presence. For example, in Strasbourg, some people even told us that their hometowns had a serious lack of train connections. Yeah, like definitely, like seeing the Connecting Europe Express and speaking to Joseph and Pascal gave, gave me a sense that there's a real like increasing pressure uh, to deliver a connected and affordable rail system in Europe. But also like at the workshop, it was great to see, like we learned um, that at, at the event that there's still a long way to go. Yeah, definitely. In Strasbourg, we were very surprised to see many young people engaged and interested in sustainable mobility and honestly wanting to learn more about the railway sector. I mean, after all, trains are the most efficient mode of transport. There's no denying that. And that is exactly why we came to the European Youth Event, to pass the torch of our project to young people. Yeah, like it was brilliant to see the different input from young people 
across Europe. And it was good to see not only us talking about trains, but them being so engaged in it. Yes, many people uh, highlighted issues such as affordability, accessibility, or even improving last mile connections. And we were very surprised with the ideas we heard from them on how to improve the railway sector. For example, more public transport connections, a unifying book system, and even a revival of the night trains. Like the, the last message of the project really is um, that like if you're sitting at home and you're an activist, uh, now it's time to act. And like we've seen this, how the Discovery EU scheme uh, it gave, which gave free internet pass to 18 year olds across Europe. So like if they can do it, it's important that we as young people are also doing that. Next stop. I believe the main message we want to raise with this project is truly that if there is a will, there is a way. And if activists had stayed at home a couple of years ago, we wouldn't have today to discover EU scheme and free interrail passes to 18-year-olds in Europe. So it is important to empower young people. I mean, we are here, we have ideas, and we want a seat at the table. Absolutely. Um, an example of this is the Erasmus by Train, who joined us in Strasbourg and are also guests on our show. They're a group of activists trying to connect the interrailing scheme and the Erasmus program by offering Erasmus students a way to get to their destinations uh, via by train. So uh, yeah, like they, they're the kind of people that we want to see, see doing things in Europe. Yes, and the debate is really just beginning. We will continue hearing about topics such as carbon pricing, the polluter pace principle, and the carbon footprint of the different journeys and even the products that we consume. But like, uh, we need to make sure we engage with local politicians and associations to, dem to demand a more sustainable transport system and make our voices heard. The European Year of Rail is an initiative launched by the European Commission to raise awareness to the many advantages related to trains. Well, this looks like it's definitely our last stop. We learned so much on this journey and a special thanks has to go out to everyone involved in the project. From our editor to our guests, who helped us a lot along the way and as well to the Connecting Europe Express and our guests at the workshop in Strasbourg. If you attended our workshop and are listening to this episode right now, tell us through social media. We'd love to stay in touch. We are Claudia. I'm Connor. See you in the many stops and stations around Europe.